Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Today is Are They Welcome Here 2.0. Let's talk about being welcomed. Isn't it wonderful to be welcomed warmly by people? You go somewhere and you're greeted with a smile and a kind word. And if they give you a gift basket, it's even better. But we all know what it feels like to be treated rudely or shunned or excluded and not welcomed. God wants you and I to be welcoming to all people. So are they welcome here? That question assumes something. It assumes that all people aren't. Otherwise, there would be a greater engagement and acceptance of all people. So it says to me that we have gospel work to do. It says to me that we need to trust God and live what we say we believe. Because God is pleased with the person who welcomes others. Isaiah 58, 7 even says to bring the homeless poor into your house. Matthew 25, 35, Jesus says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Paul tells Philemon regarding the returning runaway Onesimus, accept him as you would me. Hebrews eleven thirty one commends Rahab's faith in welcoming the spies in peace. Last week we were talking about the sin of partiality. We were in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Verse 1 says, Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. That literally means to lift up the face, to judge by appearance, to make distinctions, to give special attention based on externals versus the heart. And James was saying, Stop showing favoritism. Stop showing partiality. Now, I illustrated that last week with an episode in Acts chapter 10 and 11, which I entitled Peter and the Italians. Now, if you missed it, you can go online and listen to it. Not now, maybe later. But today, what I want to do is take a closer look at Acts chapter 10 and 11 and the amazing ministry opportunity that God gave to Peter. You're also going to hear about some different local ministry opportunities and the stories behind them and how you can join in the joyful effort or come up with your own ideas. But I want you to stand with me, and I'm going to read Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 43. Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in both the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate And drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people 
and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we come to you with, with hearts brimming over with thankfulness because you show no partiality. That many of us have come to you knowing how unworthy of grace and mercy we are. Thank you, Lord, that you have preached good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus is Lord of all. And thank you, Lord, that he died for our sins and was raised on the third day and is coming again for those who love him. Thank you, Lord, that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And Lord, now we ask that you would have your way with us, that your will would be done, that your church would grow. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I mentioned last week that my heart has been full recently. I have found that sending kids off to college does that to you. I have found that watching movies that have touching parts in them does that to you, or at least to me. I have found that seeing and hearing about ministries that reach the poor and needy and disenfranchised does that to you. I have found that seeing the needs in this city does that. I've also found that pastoring a wonderful church like Grace Orange does that to you. It is a privilege and a pleasure to be your pastor and to shepherd the flock of God with such an amazing group of pastors and elders and ministry leaders. And I want to commend you today because this church is really good at weeping with those who weep, at rejoicing with those who rejoice, at coming alongside those who are in need. You do really well at that. As a church, we exist to worship God and build up believers and reach others for Christ. We are seeking together to be a Christ-centered community that is intent on preaching the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. That's what we want to be about. As we live that out, as we, we seek to live that out, there are lots of opportunities, lots of instances, lots of chances to be used by God to be a blessing to others, both inside and outside the church. But even with all the good things that are going on, we can get tripped up by the sin of partiality. Scripture is very clear, like in Acts chapter 10 and Romans chapter 2, that there is no partiality with God. But there is often partiality with man. That's why Proverbs chapter 24 verse 23 says, These also are the sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judgment is not good. That's why Proverbs 28 verse 21 says, To show partiality is not good, because for a piece of bread a man will transgress. That's why God corrected wayward Israel through Malachi the prophet. Malachi 2.9, he says, You are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction." I know that last week's sermon struck a chord with many people. I heard from all sorts of people whose hearts resonated with the pain inflicted by the sin of partiality. 
I heard from one couple who said they have witnessed a lot of prejudice and preferential treatment among Christians and others over the years. I heard from someone who said that their grandfather immigrated from Italy just like mine did, but his grandpa even changed his name, his last name, because of the discrimination he was facing. Many have felt like misfit toys at some point. And it is no secret that people are not hardwired to be impartial. We pigeonhole people. We categorize people. We, we set them in predetermined categories, little cubby holes, and then we rank them. We rank them by looks. We rank them by the kind of car they drive and the house they live in and the neighborhood that they are in and by their clothes and their ethnicity and their social status and their personality and their intelligence or lack thereof. We rank them by their wealth and their influence and many other things. If we're honest, this is the kind of people we are. Now this question, are they welcome here? I don't want you to misunderstand. Because I'm not just saying, are they welcome here at Grace Church of Orange? I mean, first and foremost, here in your heart. Are they welcome in your heart? Do you have a love for Jesus that generates a love for other people? The love of Christ shown on the cross, the love of Christ in saving lost, hell-bent sinners, is a love that generates love for others. So first of all, I mean, are they welcome here in your own heart? And secondly, I mean, are they welcome in your life? Are you open to building purposeful relationships with people, friendships for the gospel? And then, I mean, are they welcome in his church? Are they welcome in Christ's church? Is everyone welcome in God's household? And yes, is everyone welcome in Grace Church of Orange? Look, we all live somewhere. We are geographically situated people. We all operate somewhere on a daily basis. There are both autobiographical and geographical elements going on here. What I'm talking about is who you are in the depth of your soul and where you live and where we gather as a church. Are they welcome here? The idea is be a Christian. If you're a Christian, be a Christian wherever you are. Consistency. Intentionally engage people with the gospel relationally wherever you are geographically. Now, the main idea I put forth last week really was embedded in this idea that I threw out of A-E-I-O and U. Let me put it in sentence form. All people should be engaged intentionally with the gospel by people with open and unwavering hearts until Jesus returns. And the reason is so that Christ's church will grow. That's the idea. But there is something that keeps us from doing that. And it is not external and it is not superficial. It is not that we don't have the time. It is not that we don't have the opportunity. Truth be told, it is internal and significant. Here's our deal. You want to know what our deal is? Here's our deal. We do what we want. We are people who make our own choices and pick and choose what we want to do no one's forcing us to do anything in life and we do what we really want and the the fact of the matter is we don't really want to reach out as much as we say we want to because if we did we would there are deep-seated 
abiding attitudes and opinions that we all hold about people and groups that keep us from it. And God wants to change our hearts and our choices and our observable lives. Not just what we're thinking that we want to do, but actually what we do. So Acts 10 and 11, they can, it contains some key truths that God wants us to apply to our lives. The point that we looked at last week that James was making, the point that Luke is making in, in Acts is that partiality is inconsistent with faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now we cannot hold faith in Christ, who is the, the very presence and glory of God, and be partial. So last week we looked at this by really, um, as an illustration, we looked at this huge lesson that God taught Peter. I want to look at it in a little more depth today. I want to show how it lines up with this A-E-I-O and new idea I gave you last week. So let's start with that. I want you to go to, verse, first of all, to verse 15 of Acts 10. And just the letter A, the idea of all, that all people are included in, in, in this idea that we First of all, need to agree with what God says. This is the idea behind Acts 10, verse 15. God says to Peter three times, what God has said called clean, no longer consider unclean. Don't call unholy. Jesus has already said, he who comes to me I will never cast out. Here is Cornelius, who is not a Jew, and who is not a Christian. But he also was not a pagan that was worshiping false gods. What God said about him is that he feared God with his household, gave generously, and prayed continually. He was someone who was seeking to be right with God, but didn't know the gospel yet. Let me set a little context here for Acts chapter 10 and 11. You've got a guy named Cornelius who lives in Caesarea. He's a man of some authority. He has a hundred soldiers under his command. He is a centurion of the Italian cohort. cohort. So he is Italian. It's a good thing, by the way. And he gets a vision from an angel of God, a message that says, go and send for Peter, who was in Joppa, who's hanging out with Simon the Tanner. I wonder how many unclean animals Peter might have already touched. I don't know. He's with the Tanner. Tanning hides of animals. But Peter gets a vision from God of that big sheet being let down from the sky with all these unclean animals in it. And God's saying, arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, no, I've never done that. That would be unrighteous for me to do so. Uh, I won't do it. And God gives him this message three times. Now, of all people in the Bible, Peter is used to uh, triple messages from God. But what God showed him is that he needed to agree with what God says. He says, what what God has made clean, do not call uncommon. So Peter, verse 20, the Spirit says to him, rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, because I've sent them. He's got to agree with God. If he's going to line up with God, he's got to agree with what God says. See, he learned that God reveals the truth. Look at verse 28. He goes to Caesarea goes into Cornelius' house, a Jew would never do that. A good Jew would never do that. That's why the church took issue with him later. He goes into the house, and there's all these people waiting for Peter. 
And here's what Peter said, verse 28. He said, you yourselves know how unlawful it is, how unrighteous it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me. See, God had revealed the truth to him. God had shown him something. God had called Peter to engage those he considered unworthy and unengageable. I tell you what, we must never forget. If you're a believer, you must never forget that you are not worthy of God's grace and mercy. It's so easy to come to faith in Christ and then somehow adopt a superior attitude. All because of maybe knowledge of the Bible. Paul said knowledge puffs up, love edifies. All people need to be engaged, but all people, if you're going to go to all people, you need to agree with what God says about them and, and that God reveals truth. You know, we have seen it over and over again. In, in America, colleges and universities and organizations that started with a biblical foundation have let it go. Churches have done the same thing and so have people. And as soon as you let the, the moorings of God's word being the ultimate authority go, you're not going to agree with God and you're not going to believe it when God reveals the truth. All people, you've got to agree with God like Peter learned that lesson and God revealed the truth. That's what he said. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's why I came without objection. Because I'm, I'm agreeing with God. He revealed the truth. All. That's the A. Here's the E. The E was engage. Look at verse 20. The Spirit says to, to Peter, Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. You're going to engage people. You need to know that God does the sending. God will send you. God will send them. Your paths will converge. I love it when I get a phone call from someone who's trying to sell me something. I'm like, I love the fact that God sent them to my phone so I could preach the gospel to them. Why not? They'll come to your door, knock on your door. God sent them to you so you could preach the gospel to them. Engage. God does the sending, and then when, he, when he's sending, you look at verse 23. It just says, so he, Peter, invited them in to be his guests. He just showed human kindness to them. He showed them hospitality. A generous grace versus stingy superiority. I love what Cornelius says to him when he comes in. He says, you've been so kind. You've been so kind to come. Look, look at verse 33. I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear what God's telling you to say. God does the sending. You've got to show human kindness and hospitality. Just the milk of human kindness. And then you've got to take a risk and obey God. You want to engage people with the gospel? You've got to take a risk, and you've got to do what God says for you to do. Look at verse 25. Peter enters. Cornelius falls at his feet and worships him. And Peter's like, hey, I'm, I'm a man too. Stop that. And, and he talks to him, and he sees all these people gathered. This big group of people in Cornelius' house. Bunch of Italians, I'm guessing. Probably food there. Take a risk and obey God. I, I think Peter was very slow to understand what, what God was trying to tell him. That's why he had to get it three times. He's puzzled to the me as to the meaning of the vision. He says, no, by no means, God. But God is always stronger. God is stronger than our hearts, and he knows all things. 
So he breaks through Peter's stony heart towards the Gentiles, speaks directly to him because God's sovereign grace to get the gospel to all nations, which was prophesied in the Old Testament, but not understood by the, by the baby church that God had, had, had birthed, it had to go through and transform Peter's understanding of the gospel. He had this real Jewish understanding. Everyone had to become a Jew to become a Christian. God turned it into a biblical understanding. Everyone is welcome. So he had to take a risk and obey God. He had to step foot in a Gentile's house. Something good Jews wouldn't do. A.E., all people need to be engaged, and I is intentionally. Look at verses 34 and 35, the, the first two verses I read this morning. So you've got to act upon your new understanding. If you're going to be intentional about the gospel, you've got to act upon what God teaches you. Peter opens his mouth. You've got to open your mouth. You can't just say, well, I think I'm going to be a really good example, and they're going to know. No. You've got to preach the gospel with words. Act upon your new understanding. He opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand. I get it. God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone... This is big. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to God. Now, don't go and create some false gospel heresy based on these verses. Because you will look, uh, God says if you fear him and do what is right. So if you're really, really good, you're going to get to heaven. False. Jesus is the point here. He's acting upon his new understanding. By the way, to the Gentile Cornelius in his household, Peter confesses that he finally shed his Jewish animosity towards Gentiles when he understood that in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. That is the heart of it right there. Anyone from anywhere, anyone from anywhere who fears God. Now go to verse 42. What does that mean, to fear God? 42. In context, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Yeah, you better fear the judge. (laughs) Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. So you're fearing God because you realize that Jesus is the judge and do what is right. Look at verse 43. Everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The only name by which we must be saved, as Acts 4.12 says, the name of Jesus. So, this is all about the gospel. And let me just say, if you're going to intentionally engage all people with the gospel, remember that we're not condoning sin. Remember that we're not celebrating people's sin. But also remember that we're not condemning people for their sin. We confess our own sins, receive God's forgiveness, and then engage people intentionally with the gospel, whether they're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, kind or unkind, tall or short, young or old, no respecter of persons. The idea of partiality, that idea of literally lifting up the face, God doesn't see people's faces. God sees their hearts. Your face, it could be the prettiest face in the world or not. God is concerned with your heart. 
Now, verse 24, what I called last week, the biggest alley-oop in the history of gospel preaching just gets lobbed to Peter. Packed house. Look at verse 24. Cornelius was expecting them, and they called together his relatives and close friends. So the house is packed. Verse 33, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Wow. Now, this was not the time to debate parenting styles or end times views. Peter was going to go for the jugular. Peter was going to zero in on the target. Peter was going to lock in on the gospel, and he preached Jesus. Verses 36 to 41, he he talks about how God preached good news, gospel of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Jesus, by paying the price for sin through his sacrificial death, established peace between man and God. That's why Romans 5.1 says, therefore, to believers, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer at enmity towards him. So he's preaching Jesus, and there's got to be a theological and testimonial aspect to this. I stole that from a friend of mine who is present right now. Just want to give credit where it's due. You can figure out who it was. You've got to weave in the gospel and your life. You've got to be theological about it. You've got to be focused on what Jesus did in history, and then you've got to be testimonial. You've got to tell your story. What did God do to change your life? How did it affect you? A, E, I, and then O. O is open. You've got to have an open heart. All people should be engaged intentionally with, by people with open hearts. Look at verse 43. Acts 10, 43. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins. That's big. Freedom, release, pardon from God. You see that God does some amazing things. Verses 44 and 45. While he was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. Sometimes God does some things that we don't think are possible. He is the God of the impossible. Sometimes we, God does things that we don't think are particularly appropriate. Can't believe he saved them or him or her. We need to bow to his sovereignty, his sovereign choice, and accept that he is God and we are not. What he does is best, and he saves unlikely suspects. And, and just please remember, you were one. You've got to, if you're going to have an open heart, you've got to fully accept those God saves. Look at verse 48. This, we would miss this in the church today. The church today misses this because when we think of baptism, we go, well, hey, come to know Christ, and if you get around to it, or if you feel like it, or if you like water, then maybe get baptized. At some point in the near or far future. Jesus says that believers should be baptized. And if you're a Christian and you're an unbaptized Christian, you're disobedient to God. God says, be baptized. Back in those days, it was right away. We're getting baptized. We're identifying our life with Christ. We are lining up with him. We are saying, Jesus saved me publicly. We're saying that. 
Check your Bible. Check the book of Acts. It, you get baptized right away after getting saved. So what happened here is huge, and we would miss it in today's church because we make baptism such an option. Okay? Look at verse 48. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So you go, what's the big deal? <laughs> it is one of the biggest deals that ever happened in the history of Judaism. He, they didn't hold them to a legalistic standard. They didn't say you had to be circumcised first and become a Jew first. They didn't hold them to an unreasonable standard. Baptizing them was a big deal. It was signified their acceptance with God and being folded into the fellowship of believers, being accepted into the fellowship of believers. In fact, when that, reached, when, when that news reached the church in Jerusalem, they had a big old council about it, and that was what you find in Acts chapter 15. They had to settle this question, because people were saying you had to get circumcised and become a Jew before you became a Christian. So for them to baptize them was big, really big. What we got to learn from this is we got to fully accept those God saves and not try to change them or fix them or fit them into our Christian little, little Christian box of what we think every Christian should do. A lot of us are really good at saying, every Christian needs to, and then they make these pronouncements, and I'm like, can you show me where that is in the Bible? <laughs> Just please. The Holy Spirit changes people. By, his, by the Spirit of God, and the Word of God, I'll say it again, we don't condone sin, we don't celebrate sin, we don't condemn people for their sins. We confess our sins and love everybody. And God will do the changing by His Spirit and Word. Well, maybe there's a person, though, that gets saved and they've hurt people in the church. Like Paul. They gotta go and make things right with believers. Remember the church didn't believe that Paul was a Christian? Oh, he's faking it. Mm-hmm. Recently, there was a guy that I ran into who lived a pretty bad life. Repented of his sins. God is changing his life. And I, someone saw them and said, what's that person doing going to church? And I'm like, well, God's changing his life. The person said, I don't believe it. You don't believe that God could change someone's heart. Wow. There's a person like Paul who sinned against people in the church. It is very appropriate for them to confess their sins and seek reconciliation as part of the process of their repentance. And they're welcome back to full fellowship. No objections. AEIO, open. You is unwavering. Your heart's got to be unwavering. Now, Paul, uh, Peter had to go and tell the church what had happened. Now, this is a great thing he was going to tell them. All these people got saved. People got all angry at him because he went and ate with Gentiles. Can you believe how picky that is? Now we, you could think of the, of, the, um, of the counterparts, what we do, right? We're not so far off from, from scribes and Pharisees at times. But they heard the truth. Verse, uh, verse 4 of chapter 11, Peter began and explained it to them in order. He didn't get angry at them. He just said, here is what happened. Tell them the truth. You went and ate with Gentiles. We can't believe you did that. They were outraged at such a blatant breach of Jewish custom. It was difficult for them to even conceive that God could be the, the Lord of, of a Gentile believer. He explained the truth. And I love the church's response. 
Love it, love it, love it. Receive, they received the truth and glorified God. Look at verse 18. Peter just says, I, I can't stand in God's way. Who was I to stand in God's way? God saved them very clearly. Same thing happened to them as happened to us. The church received the truth and glorified God. That's the response, the praise God response. It says this in verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. They're thinking about it. They're, they're, they're changing their mind. And they glorified God. And they said, then, they're making a conclusion here, then to the Gentiles also God has granted the repentance that leads to life. This is great. The result, they, they praised God. Now here's the deal. When, when they said God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life, that was one of the most shocking admissions in Jewish history. Now, it was an event that the Old Testament had prophesied, but that was shocking for them to make that statement. And it was absolutely true. The result, they glorified God. All people should be engaged intentionally by people with open and unwavering hearts. And then there's the why. Not the sometimes why, but the always why. You've always got to be involved in this. Uh, as a believer, you cannot stand in God's way. And if you've been standing in God's way, you've got to stop standing in God's way. Look, Peter changed. He accepted the truth. Peter learned. Everyone is welcome. Peter led the church then. Let's change our ways. And the church did. I know I've been preaching a lot about repentance this summer, and there's plenty of things that God is bringing to my mind all the time that I need to repent of. Same for you. One of the things the church needs to repent of is its unlove and turn to God's agenda. Join this growing, humble, bold, visible movement that's been building for over 2,000 years that at any given moment, people are ministering to anyone and everyone from anywhere in the name of Christ. In fact, I want to invite up three men from our church, Bud Dunham, Timothy Ma, and Alan Weisenberger. And I want them to share a few things regarding ways that God has used them simple ways Isaiah 58 talks about people who were saying hey we're so spiritual we're so right with God and God says in verse 6 is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free to break every yoke is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. I want these men to share some things about their lives and what God has asked them to be, led them to be engaged in. First, we've got Bud Dunham who has been, he's a young guy who's been reaching out to older people than himself over at Fountain Healthcare. So Bud, what have you, why did you get engaged with this and how has God um, you know, strengthened your relationship with oh, Jesus? First of all, um, uh, I have to tell you something that happened before I became a Christian. Uh, my dad was a very stubborn guy. He did not want to die in a hospital. He wanted to die at home and he asked me if I would be with him once he couldn't take care of himself. I went back and stayed with dad for three months before he passed away and I saw the need I, the, that people were many many people laying in beds 
24-7 and or in a wheelchair. And uh, uh, I, I thought at some point I would do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, after uh, three years later, I received uh, Christ. And through the Bible and all, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to uh, do room-to-room visits with these people because I was bold enough to think that maybe I could bring a smile to their face and uh, and uh, that I could uh, learn from them uh, all about themselves and, and tell them what God was doing. and I, But I didn't know how to start. And uh, so uh, someone told me in the congregation that, uh, there was a guy who had a uh, ministry like that uh, that went to care homes, and I got in contact with him, and uh, it was uh, Tim Nagel. And uh, uh, he had one place. I told him I wanted to do room-to-room visits where I go in and sit down with the people and tell them what's going on in the life, find out about them, pray with them, answer any questions. And he had the one place over in Fountain Hospital here in Orange, and uh, so I, he asked me to join him, and I did. And uh, it was just the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. I mean, uh, I, we would go and visit with the people, and uh, they had questions about their salvation and about uh, things they had done in the past, and we went to the Bible and got our answers. And it was just a great, a great thing. And, and then later, uh, another guy in our congregation here Dick Bray he uh, uh, joined us and he was a great addition and he even got us he talked to the hospital and got us a time on Sunday morning when we could uh, uh, have a service for the patients and so uh, we got 1030 the first Sunday of every month, and uh, what happens there is we go in and uh, the people are brought in to the uh, auditorium, and we've been having about 25 or 35 every Sunday, and uh, but we we sing a couple songs, we have a message from one of the guys. There's about six or seven of us go over there, and uh, then um, uh, we uh, have bread and cup for them, and. We sing a couple more songs, and then we have time to visit. So it's just uh, it's something that's really meant a lot to me. Thank you, bud. Next we have Timothy Ma, and he's going to talk about the, uh, I don't know, unofficially we call it the uh, ultimate Frisbee outreach. I think we started out much less spiritually than bud. He had these great plans to go serve people, and we just wanted to play sports. But um, probably about five years ago, there was a small group of us from church that started playing Ultimate Frisbee, which is kind of like soccer with a Frisbee. And we play out on the field at church every Sunday night. And we've now been playing for about five years. And it's not uncommon for us to get 30 or 40 people that come out to play. And I think God really had this in his plan. As long as we've been playing, we always take a break halfway through the evening for what we call halftime. And we sit down in a circle and share prayer requests, someone shares a devotion, what God's been teaching them from scripture. We've gotten missionary update reports from Jared from the Philippines and Matthew in China and Winston at Hume and a couple of things like that. So it's been a really neat opportunity as friends have come and friends of friends have come to Frisbee where we consistently have non-believers 
that are coming to play sports with us, and we have this free, consistent, built-in opportunity to share the gospel, talk about the gospel, and start those conversations with them. So that's been a real blessing. I know it's been a lot of fun to see all of my younger siblings come out and grow and just different people uh, at church who have grown. Rachel Weber helps out a ton. She sends out the text and updates Facebook, and Matthew and Scott have both taken a lot of initiative in running things. So it's been really neat to see that, and I think probably personally one of the things God has taught me a lot is that people are always watching you, even when you play sports, believers and non-believers alike. And, you know, if you teach a lesson on humility and caring about others, and then start yelling at people once you start playing frisbee and get frustrated because you lose. There's some inconsistency there. So just learning that as simple of a lesson as it is, God cares a lot more about how we treat people than if we won or lost, and that's been a real blessing. All right. Thank you, Timothy. Alan Weisberger is one of our elders, and he's been involved with a variety of, of different ministries. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, my involvement with the Orange County Rescue Mission. I had been feeling kind of overwhelmed by seeing God's obvious uh, passion for the needy uh, throughout Scripture, passages like Isaiah 58 and many others. And uh, so I decided in 2008 that I was going to uh, connect with the Orange County Rescue Mission and get involved there. And that was strictly an act of obedience. It wasn't because I had some real compassion or passion for the needy. In fact, it was that I didn't have that compassion for the needy, and yet it was clear to me that God did. And I couldn't see myself continuing to ask God to break my heart with the things that break his heart if I wasn't willing to put some feet to that and do something about it. So I started a conversation with the rescue mission, and of course, being the skillful, experienced, expert kind of guy that I am, I figured you know, they'd like put me on their board of directors or you know some advisory committee or some, something like that. But God had a little different plan. Uh, what they needed at that time was somebody who would uh, uh, walk around doing a security patrol around their facilities. And what that meant was that I'd wear this geeky-looking red vest and carry a radio and walk around. And in the rare event that I saw something unusual, I'd radio in and you know get somebody to come deal with it. Uh, it was probably one of the most boring things I've ever done in my life. Uh, very, one of the exciting times was when I'd work a shift where they'd ask me to go unlock a door for somebody, you know, and that didn't happen all that often. So basically what God had planned was that uh, he provided me with the most menial, uh, uh, non-skill required job in the entire place. And as it turned out, uh, you know, his plan was that I would faithfully execute that role for three hours a week, nearly every week, for four years. And uh, I didn't know that going into it. I don't know if I would have been quite as ambitious. But, um, but you know, uh, God uses, whenever we minister to other people, God uses that to change our lives as much or more than the lives of the people that he's calling us to serve. And uh, this, again, was not about uh, what I could do. It was about being humbly and sacrificially obedient to what God wanted me to do. So uh, there's you know, a few lessons that, that I've learned from that, um, quite a few actually, but just to summarize a couple of them. The first thing was that, you know, my ministry is not about what I can do. It's not about who I am. It's not about what I have. It's about me being humbly, sacrificially obedient to whatever God wants. 
Sometimes he calls us to use our giftedness, and sometimes he calls us to set our giftedness aside in just a sheer act of obedience. Second thing is that by rubbing shoulders regularly with uh, the residents down at the rescue mission over a long period of time, I began to realize that these poor, needy, homeless people were a whole lot like me. They weren't nearly as different than me than I would have uh, expected them to be. We're all cut from the same cloth at the end of the day. And I learned that poverty is not about a lack of money. A lack of money is a symptom of poverty. But poverty stems from some much deeper human needs, like the need for dignity and purpose and hope. You know, it comes from broken relationships, and it comes from failed systems in our society, which all too often includes the church failing to do our role. You know, if you, had, if you wrote a $100,000 check to each homeless person on the streets of Orange County, you would have done very little to cure homelessness. You might feel really good about being Superman swooping in to save the day, but at the end of that day, all you really would have accomplished is alleviating uh, some symptoms temporarily. Now, when I'm sick, I appreciate those medicines that help relieve my symptoms. So relieving symptoms is not a bad thing. That's a good thing to do. But what I really want is to be cured of my sickness. And to cure poverty requires people like you and me investing our lives and building relationships with people so that we can bring that hope and that purpose and that dignity into their lives. When I take the uh, the money out of the picture of poverty and I realize what poverty really is, then I realize that my own poverty is being cured as I reach out to try to help other people cure their poverty. Thank you, man. Now, I've asked um, Alan to read something that he wrote a couple years ago, actually, and shared with our men on a Saturday morning. And it's his paraphrase of Isaiah 58. I encourage you to read the whole chapter later, but uh, some strong applicable words here. So broadcast this so everyone can hear. Get it on every radio, TV, billboard, website, and podcast. Get all who call themselves Christian to listen and to see their own sin. They go through the motions of seeking me every day. They enjoy studying my word, appearing to be a church that has done what I want and obeyed my commands. They ask me for direction and are happy when they think I've answered. They say to me, why don't you notice all the good things we do for you? We're really humble, so why don't you seem to notice how good we are? But I say, you don't recognize as I do that you're motivated by what you desire, not what I desire. And as long as your desires are satisfied, you don't even care if you're interfering with anyone else's ability to worship and find me. Just look at yourselves. You use your Christianity to drive a wedge between you and others. You inflict guilt on them, but that doesn't help them. It only makes you feel superior. Just doing your Christian rituals and having the right outward appearance is not going to get my attention. Do you really think I'm impressed that you go through the motions, reading your Bible and praying and going to church and saying the right words and generally appearing to be spiritual? What I really want you to do is this. Seek out those who need your help and show them my love. Show compassion to those trapped in sin, not contempt. 
Set them free from the things that oppress them by caring for them sacrificially. I want you to give generously from your full cupboards to those whose cupboards are empty. I want you to bring the poor and homeless into your own home and give them clothes from your own closet. Let the person I really made you to be shine out from behind your pride and your fears. Then you'll be amazed at how fast your life will get brighter. Your health will improve. Your own right perspective will guide you, and the glory of the Lord will guard your back. Then you'll have no trouble at all getting the Lord to respond. He'll be waiting close by to say, Here I am when you cry out to him. But that can't happen while you're ignoring those who need your help, pointing to them with contempt and bad-mouthing them. You can turn your whole life around by giving of yourself to the hungry and caring for the needs of those in pain. Your own gloominess will turn to sunshine and you'll be like a shining star on the blackest night to those around you. You will experience the Lord's continual guidance and your soul will be satisfied even in the places that have been badly burned. You won't recognize your own strength or how continually refreshed you'll be. You'll be a never-ending source of refreshment to others. You can be a part of God's rebuilding program to restore what is crumbling. Raise up the banner of love to repair the damage that has been done to God's reputation. Light the path for those who haven't found their way. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Never let a week go by without setting aside time when you intentionally turn away from seeking your own enjoyment and take the initiative to do the things that bring me joy. Even when that means doing things that make you uncomfortable or resisting your own preferences and giving up your own pleasures for my sake. Then you will know a new level of joy in your life, one that will have you soaring to new heights as you experience my joy overflowing into you and out of you. Thank you, Alan. You know, we cannot do everything, but we can do something. James says that we ought not to just hear the word and not do it. Because when we're hearers of the word and not doers of the word, we are deceiving ourselves. Someone asked me just this week, how can I put into practice what you preached last week? What do you, what do you want me to do? I think that's a great question. What I love to hear. Well, here's what I would encourage you to do. Take some baby steps and find one person. It might be your aging parent that you need to care for for months or even years. It might be someone who isn't folded in relationally, even in this body. It might be someone who doesn't know Christ. Or find one place, maybe a, 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 the place you go often, maybe it's your school or the ball field or a restaurant or business or neighborhood. Or find one project, something that would meet a need or solve a problem. It can be organic, it can be organized. Whatever the case, take a risk. Start small. Expose yourself to where you already operate and see what happens.